Thank you so much for that introduction, Pastor Mucci, and welcome to The Brook. And maybe you're watching this wherever you may be today. If you're a Christian or you are somebody who is exploring faith, haven't you ever asked God to do something miraculous in your life? Haven't you ever wondered, like, man, like, like even if you're, like, if you're somebody who's a skeptic, haven't you said the words, Lord, like, if you could, if you would give me a sign, then I would believe, okay? Now, don't get triggered, because I know DMX also sang those words back in the day, but listen, it, seriously, haven't you ever desired God to move in such an extraordinary fashion that he would not only prove, quote-unquote, himself to you, but also even to, like, your friends. If you're a Christian, maybe you have found yourself in that situation where you have wanted God to move in such a way so that people that are challenging your faith, like, oh, like, they're going to really know that Jesus Christ is God. Well, check this out. There was somebody in the Bible who actually got to do that. There was somebody who um, went up to a king and challenged him to this like contest. I'm talking about the prophet um, Elijah in the book of First Kings. He actually goes up to a king and he says, you know what? Why don't you meet me in Mount Carmel? And here's what I want you to do. Why don't you bring your prophets and we're going to have this contest like side by side. You're going to build an altar, right? This thing made out of stones where they would sacrifice an animal. And we're both going to sacrifice an animal. And here, here's how we're going to determine the winner. Whoever prays and and, and whoever prays uh, for fire to come down, whichever God sends fire down to consume the sacrifice is going to be the person that wins. And what do you think happened? If you may know the story, the prophets of Baal, this idol, um, started praying and they sacrificed this animal and they did all of these different things and no fire came down from heaven. But then Elijah uh, came to the altar and he built it. And on top of the altar, he actually poured water on the wood. Then he built like a little trench. Like it's like, he, I'm going to double dare you. He built a little trench and he filled it with water and then he prayed. And then in one of the most extraordinary moments of scripture, God sends down fire from heaven. And it's incredible. And you're reading the story and you're like, yeah, that's amazing. And it'd be like one of us, uh, you know, talking to our friends and, and challenging them to a contest to go down to the AAA. You know what? I'm going to meet you downtown. We're going to go to the AAA. We're both going to build these altars. All right. And we're going to sacrifice animals. I know that sounds weird right now. But then suddenly it'd be like God sending down fire at the AAA. And you'd be like, look, he's real and he's powerful. And it says right there at the end of that text in 1 Kings 18 that people just kind of fell on their face and said, wow, the Lord, he is God. At the end of that story, here's, here's how it ends in, in verse 46. In the book of 1 Kings, it says, at the hand of the Lord, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Elijah kind of does what you and I may do after, you know, that AAA showdown. He's like, you know what, now I'm going to go down to City Hall. Everybody's going to know there's a new government that's taking over. This is going to be incredible. People are going to be turning to God all day. And guess what happens when he gets to the city? We get to chapter 19. 
And listen to this in verse 1. Now Ahab, he was the king at the time, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. Now, how can someone go from experiencing and witnessing one of the most extraordinary moves of God, spectacular right, miracles of God, to then just a couple of days later becoming so depressed, becoming so discouraged to the point of becoming suicidal. He's asking God to take his life. Victory turned into defeat. Bravery turned into cowardice. How does that happen? And what is Elijah going to learn now about walking with God that he couldn't have learned in Mount Carmel? What is he going to learn now that he is in the desert, in the wilderness? And what are some of the lessons that you and I need to learn as we continue in this journey with God? Well, today, listen, I want to give you four insights that are going to come out of this text that are going to help us in our journey with God. And I want you to notice something that we just read. It said in the text that Elijah, he started running away and he passed uh, down the city of uh, Beersheba and he left a servant there. Here's the reason why that's significant, because uh, Elijah wasn't a rich man. He was a prophet. That's the reason he had a servant. So by him leaving the servant there, here's what it means. It's like Elijah, he's, he quit the ministry. He's done. After one of his highest highs, he's like, you know what? I'm done. I don't understand, God, what you are doing. And so he quits the ministry and he goes into the desert. And here's what hit me as I was reading this text. And here's the first insight that I want to share with you today. Number one, listen, we cannot live off of our past experiences. We cannot live off our past experiences. You may be watching this um, right now and you may have experienced the power of God in significant ways in your life. Uh, maybe there was a time when God delivered you from uh, death. There may have been a time when he healed your marriage. Maybe he healed your body. Maybe he used you to minister to other people in significant ways. But then suddenly as life went on and as this journey went on, you began to experience losses. And then you didn't understand uh, the plan of God. You didn't understand what he was doing. And you expected him to act a certain way. You expected a Mount Carmel and then you got the desert. 
And so somehow, even though you have a memory of the past, of God doing incredible things in your life, you find yourself in a place where you're discouraged or you may be depressed. Heck, you may even be in that place where Elijah was, entertaining suicidal thoughts. And listen, you may have even quit the ministry because even though the memory of what God has done in your life is helpful to you, it is not enough for you. Even though the memory of what God has done in your past is helpful to you, it is not um, enough for you. We, we can't live off um, our spiritual highs in the past. We need God today. If I know anything about my life and probably about yours, is that just going to a church service on a Sunday, watching something online once a week, it's not going to sustain your walk with God. That conference three years ago was amazing, and maybe he moved, and he called you to do certain things, but that's not enough to sustain you for today. The fire at Mount Carmel may have been spectacular, but how is that going to help Elijah right now in the midst of the wilderness? See, even with Jesus Christ, even after he would perform all of those miracles, he didn't just like sit back and rest in his laurels and say, well, God used me like I'm done. No, you know what he did? He would in the morning go out into the wilderness and he would pray. You see, we don't depend on our past. We depend on a person. We don't depend on our past. We depend on a person. Man, you could even put that in the chat right now. We don't depend on our past. We depend on a person. And, and what does that look like, Carlos? Well, we're going to see in just you know, a moment. Because there's something else that's happening um, in this story. Even though Elijah's depressed, even though he's discouraged, even though all of these things are happening in his life and he's confused, here's the second insight uh, that we gain from this text. We, we learn that we need to fight to pursue God in our chaos. We need to fight to pursue God in our chaos. Listen, if Elijah got anything right in this passage, is that somehow, someway, he relentlessly pursued God in the middle of this confusion. He went from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb... Uh, was of special significance to the people of Israel. See, that's another name for Mount Sinai. That's where God met Moses in a burning bush. That's where he gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. That place, the mountain of God, was associated with um, his presence. And so there's a sense here that Elijah, he's so confused and depressed, and yet he's so determined to go after God and to get an answer from him that he goes all the way from Mount Carmel to the city of Jezreel to the wilderness, to a desert, in order to get to Mount Horeb. You see, he knows that he may not be able to change himself. He doesn't have the power to do that. But he can put himself in a position to be changed by God. You may have been disappointed in your life with the way that things have turned out. Um, maybe even disappointed with church. Right? In this scenario, Elijah is disappointed specifically with the plan of God. Um, and, and, and maybe you're in a place of confusion and you may not be able to change uh, yourself or what has happened. But you can put yourself in a position to be changed uh, 
by God. In this text, he is fighting to pursue God in the midst of the chaos. And I want to challenge all of us, listen, to do the same thing, especially in this COVID crisis. We can run to a lot of different things. But God is calling us, listen, to pursue him in the midst of our chaos because he, he loves you. He loves us. Right? Talk to him. Tell him, just like Elijah. Here's how I feel, God. I'm disappointed, right? This is the kind of intimate, personal relationship that Elijah has with the Lord, even at this moment. And, and, and it's so incredible what God does with Elijah. And I want you to stay with me because, listen, we're not even halfway there. This is like this story is getting to this incredible climax in just a moment. Look at what God does with Elijah. Look at how he, how he treats him. After he had fallen asleep, it says in the text in, in verse 5, all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he preached to him. No, that's not what it says. See the angel of the Lord? He just touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And so he got up and he ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And, and then the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And by the way, uh, I thought it's so special the way that God speaks to Elijah and the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, not just so that he can go use that word or tell the word to somebody else. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah for Elijah. He replied, this is Elijah, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Look at how God treats Elijah. When, when Elijah's fighting to pursue God, and he's complaining to him, and he's saying all of these things, and his perspective's all skewed, and he doesn't really know what's going on, instead of giving him a sermon... Instead of saying, how dare you? I rain down fire from heaven. Instead of saying that, what, what, is, what does he do? Right? That's, what, that's what we can do sometimes as Christians, by the way. When people come, when people in the church have like an issue. Right? I grew up in Venezuela in a Pentecostal church, came to the States when I was 13. I went to a charismatic church here. Had an amazing uh, experience, had some great leaders. And so I want to make sure I'm not demonizing like the Pentecostal or charismatic church. Um, but there's always that one person, if you've ever been in a Pentecostal church, um, that they tend to not be okay when you're not okay. All right? Like if you say, you know what, uh, today, if you could just pray for me, I'm struggling and and I'm a bit depressed. Um, sometimes this is the kind of person that goes like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, why? Okay, you're a child of God. Okay, he's redeemed you. He saved you. You're like, an, are you kidding me? You're an ambassador of God. He's given you an identity. You have a purpose. And you're like, yeah, I know, but I'm, I'm feeling a little bit depressed. And then all of a sudden the questions begin to mount up. You know, maybe the person asks you, have you been praying? Okay. Is, is, um, 
Is there sin in your life? Do you have enough um, faith? Have you covered yourself with the blood? What's going on? You know? And it's not that those things uh, are true or maybe not true. But here's what's amazing about God in this text. He uh, shows so much wisdom. See, here's a third insight for you. We learn that God meets us in those dark places. Listen, He meets us personally and holistically. God meets us personally and holistically. He knows exactly what the prophet needs. And he knows exactly what you and I need. And what he needed in that moment was not a sermon. What he needed in that moment was not prayer. What he needed in that moment was a meal. And he needed to sleep in. God met Elijah personally because that's what, listen, he, he knows exactly what you and I need at any moment's notice. Sometimes he knows that what we need is a great laugh with friends, a little holiday somewhere, right? Just a night to be able to have some food and sleep in. I love the way that a pastor puts it, you know, just this past week as I was doing some study. You know what he says? He says, you know what God does um, when Elijah meets him in the desert? He cooks for him. And he tells them to sleep in. And that's one of the things I love about Christianity, by the way. One of the things I love about the Christian worldview is that it deals with the entire person. This is why, for instance, uh, Christians aren't against things like medicine. In fact, many of the hospitals that are built around the world were started several years ago by Christians, by missionaries, right? Um, this is why, as Christians, we should also care about mental and emotional health. Now, I know that there's different positions on how that happens, but what we can affirm is that God cares about our mind and our affections, about our emotions, and then, of course, finally, God cares about our soul. He's fed Elijah. He's listened to him. Right? God hasn't said very many words in this moment. He's just listening. He's touched him, right? Relationally, there's something emotional going on. And look at what he tells him now. The Lord said in verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, same thing. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, 
son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, watch this, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Here's a fourth insight from this text. We have a God who meets us in the silence. We have a God who meets us in the silence. One of the most significant revelations about God in this text, and essentially one of the ultimate ways he reveals himself to Elijah, is not through the spectacular display at Mount Carmel but through this gentle whisper. In fact, the, the, the word, the Hebrew word actually means silence. It's through the sound of sheer silence. We know from Scripture that God reveals himself in different ways to us. We know that he came to Moses in a fire. We know that he came as an earthquake, right, at Sinai. We know that he comes later on in the New Testament as a great wind to the disciples in Pentecost. But here he meets Elijah in the middle of a desert. Look, in the sound of sheer silence. And what we learn is that Elijah, he's put God in a box. Just like you and I oftentimes do. We put, we put him in a box and he's about to shadow that box, not by showing him this great fire, but just by ministering to him in the desert, in the silence. You see, Elijah said this. He says, man, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. And he's got this whole story about he's the only one that's left. And how does God shatter his box? He tells him, Elijah, I have 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to Baal. In other words, I have a plan and you didn't know about it. And that's okay. He shatters his box. He realizes in that moment that, that there is a greater plan than just the plan that God has for Elijah. You see, you and I, we get to be a part of the plan of God, but ultimately this whole thing is about him. And he shows him that in the silence. And here's another way he breaks his box. Um, you know, it's, it's like he says, you thought all that drama at Mount Carmel was going to turn people's hearts toward me. You thought that the way to, to make sure that people would come to know me was through all of these miraculous displays of power. But listen, you thought it would be by performing something uh, spectacular. But guess what? Listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what really changes people's hearts, Elijah. My voice. My word. You see, God's voice may not always uh, meet you in a spectacular way, but it is always supernatural. It was in that place of great solitude and silence that Elijah received the most important thing that he needed. He needed a word from God. And now Elijah, he turns from his despair and he rises as a man of purpose, continuing in the plan of God. And isn't that what all of us ultimately need today, wherever we may find ourselves? What we ultimately need is to hear the voice of God, 
we do that primarily by, by getting in the Word, right? By making sure that we get quiet. You can put it on the chat right there. You know what we need? We need to get quiet. We need to get quiet. You want to hear the voice of God? You have been discouraged. Man, we need to get quiet because ultimately the, the, the greatest thing that you and I need is to be able to hear the voice of God. You know, there's a writer by the name of C.S. Lewis um, who wrote a lot of fiction, and he, uh, he wrote this uh, fiction called uh, The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters, uh, there's a senior demon uh, by the name of Screwtape that is writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood. And in one of those letters, he reveals one of the many interesting plans of the devil. And this is what uh, this great demon writes. He says, Hell has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. Now listen, almost all of us have been forced into a kind of wilderness because of COVID-19. Uh, the difference, of course, between our desert and the desert that Elijah experienced is that our desert is full of noise. Full of noise. Right now, even as you're watching, right? The distraction of whether you're watching on Facebook, on YouTube, and the chat, and what other things are happening around your house, and then holding your phone, all of these other things that are fighting for our attention can really distract us and discourage us from being able to actually listen to the voice of God. Some of you may actually like the noise. You like being distracted because you know that if you were to be silent before God, you would have to deal with areas in your life that you don't want to deal with today. And yet, God wants to meet you in that place, not to condemn you, but certainly to convict you of your sin and lead you out of that place so you can experience this thriving relationship with God. You see, just like Elijah, God showed him in that place uh, his sinfulness. He showed him uh, the pride of thinking, wow, like you think you're the only one, but guess what? I have a plan for you. And that's what Jesus Christ does to us, right? He shows us our sin. And yet, what does he do? He comes himself to earth. He dies on a cross and he takes away our sin. And he shows us a grace that we desperately need. In fact, a grace that we couldn't even imagine that we have. That's the kind of grace that God wants you to experience today. He wants you to have that kind of a relationship um, with you. So listen, when some of you, if, if you're today and you're watching and some of you are discouraged. Listen, make no mistake, the enemy wants you distracted. Distracted by entertainment, distracted by sin. Man, listen, he'll even tempt you with like good things to distract you from God. And here's what I know. There's probably at least three kinds of people watching right now. There's, man, there's one person, you're here, you're watching, you're growing. 
and you have a thriving relationship with Jesus right now, and this is a reminder to you that God is inviting you to continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus through meeting with him in silence, in the quiet. There may be a second kind of person. You're discouraged. You're distracted. Today, after we pray, here's what I want to challenge you to do very practically. Man, I, just, I want you to text somebody. Right? You can email one of our pastors at the link that's going to show up on the screen. And you can just say, you know what? I've been distracted. I haven't been able to get quiet. But I want somebody to pray with me. Help me to come up with a plan of how I can meet with God. Maybe your next step after today is just to spend two to five minutes this week just getting quiet before the Lord. Maybe, number three, maybe you're watching this and you're just far away from God. And you want to have a relationship with Him for the first time. You realize, man, you know what? I'm here, I'm watching this, and I want to have a relationship with this God who is intimate, who cares for me, who sent His Son Jesus to die for me so that I can live with Him forever. And if that's you, here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for all of us, okay? But especially if you're in that place, I want to invite you to fill out a Connect card. And you're going to see the link right there because we would love to have a conversation with you and pray with you. So why don't we pray together right now? Lord, thank you that you meet us in all kinds of ways, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are so graceful, so personal, that you care for our entire being, not just for a part of us, but for all of us, Lord. I pray right now uh, for those who are watching, Lord, uh, there are some here who have been discouraged, Lord, and they need a word from you, and they need to be encouraged by your people. I pray today, God, they would put themselves in a position to be changed by you. God, give them the strength, uh, give them the courage, Lord, to reach out and to be vulnerable, Lord. I pray for those, God, who have been growing, that this would just be another opportunity, Lord, for them to be able to get to know you even more and for you to fuel their relationship uh, with you. And then finally, of course, I pray for those who may be watching, Lord, who don't know you but want to, who have been far away from you, and they want to give their lives to you, Lord. I pray, God, you would open up their hearts and you would help them to commit their life to you today, God. I pray that you would change them and that they would know that a great fire doesn't have to rain down right now in the midst in order to know that you're their God, but they just need to hear you through your word in silence, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.